Welcome to the Key Wellbeing Podcast and our new series, Lunchtime Listens, where it's all about real clients, real employee wellbeing challenges, and of course, real expert advice. Let's get started. So this week, the topic is diversity and inclusion and the importance of employers listening to all needs and being inclusive of everyone. Although we've seen significant strides over the last couple of years when it comes to improving diversity and inclusion in the workplace, there's no denying that there's still a long way to go in terms of creating workplace cultures in which every individual feels safe, a sense of belonging, and being able to be their full authentic selves. We're joined today by Lindsay Britton-Lee and Lindsay Harbottle, co-founders of the diversity and inclusion training and consultancy company, 5050 Future. The two wonderful Lindsays are on a mission to make equal opportunities for all through educating, raising awareness and helping employers to build robust DNI strategies. We'll be chatting about why it's so important to have a DNI strategy in place, not only to cultivate a thriving company culture, but to boost employee well-being and retain the right talent. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay and Lindsay, how are you? Good. Really good, thank you. Yeah. How are you? I am well, thank you. I am well. I must apologize if the sun comes and makes me look funny on this blind. I'm sat in front of a, <laughs> a wooden blind. <laughs> Sorry for the building outside our office. You might hear the old digger or reverse. Is that your office where you are? Yes. Lovely. And whereabouts is that? We're based on Collier Square, so just in the town centre of Newcastle. So yeah, pretty pretty central, but central to where all of the building works are oh. <laughs> going as well. So yeah. <laughs> oh well, hopefully, hopefully it'll be all right. All right. Well, let's get into our questions then. So, why is DNI strategy essential in today's working world? Do you reckon? I think. I think well, one of the main. Main. Oh, oh there's a really the... bad echo. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I I could hear it on your end. I'm trying okay. To... Okay. So I think having a DNI strategy is really important because I think companies, although they might have certain interventions or um programs in place to help support diversity and inclusion, having a strategy about it makes it business critical and hopefully gives them that holistic approach that they need so it's integrated across the business and not just bolt on strategies or um, initiatives where it never quite gets joined up. So I think having that strategy in place is really important to pull it together so that leadership can, you know, role model that, advocate for it, and everybody in the business understands where it threads through and why they're doing it. And then obviously then your workforce in return also understand what their role is to play within that as well. It becomes part of your organization's DNA. I think as well that society and our workforce will continually and is evolving. And there is an expectation from our current employees or potentially new individuals into the business, whether that be an attraction strategy um, or trying to get new colleagues through the door. There is that expectation that they want to feel as if they can belong and be them whole selves in the workplace. And having that strategy 
holds organizations accountable and gives them a framework to be able to keep this on the agenda and not just use it as a ticky box initiative to virtue signal or to put a stick in plaster over something. Yeah, it's such an important point about virtue signaling, isn't it? Just sort of like have a policy in place and you're done. Like it's, you've got to live and breathe it, right? Yeah, there's a little bit more <laughs> to a good starting point, maybe. But... <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you've sort of answered it, but I don't know if there's anything more that you wanted to add around, you know, just how can DNI improve the workplace and just the overall well-being of the people that work there? It just encompasses so many things. I think in terms of DNI, you've got, so I suppose we look at it through three different lenses usually. Um, so you've got from an individual aspect where we want individuals to be able to come in, be themselves, feel supported, be able to thrive in that environment and do really great work, which in turn gives the employer um, a really motivated and engaged yeah. workforce who hopefully want to stay there. Um, you've then got that commercial aspect of it as well, where if you are um, attracting that diversity and those um, colleagues feel as though they can contribute and use their voice, then you're adding in that diversity of thought into your product services, into your teams, so you become more creative and innovative um, and can also um, create new market opportunities as well. So it affects the bottom line commercially, but then also from a legal perspective, it's really important that we take responsibility for this and understand how that impacts the business, both in terms of reputation, brand image, there's, there's a lot yeah. that um, it, it threads into. Mm, absolutely. And so what do you think sort of happens when people just ignore DNI? They're like, you know what? It's just like an, another thing that we're supposed to have. It's fashionable. Like maybe I, just, I won't bother with the policy. What, what kind of happens, do you think? Or have you got any stories that you're allowed to share with, with what you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> We've got many stories. Um, I think there are a number of companies that haven't quite invested in the importance of having EDNI in the workplace. Um, I think fortunately we get to work with those organizations that the majority of time they're being proactive because they know it's important and they're authentically invested in it. Sometimes companies work with us because they're being reactive and they bring us in to do some firefighting, put some plasters on things and try and mitigate damage or trust and, and risk issues internally. I think that's the result of not having a cohesive strategy or not paying due attention to it is you're opening yourselves potentially up to a can of worms there because something will slip through the net or something will go wrong. And if you haven't considered these things, that's when it gets nasty and that's where people really get hurt and harmed. And more importantly, our colleagues within the company or customers, um, depending on the organization, but also commercially, the reputational risk, um, the financial costs. There's so many disadvantages to it that for me naturally outweigh the benefits, but there's only so much you can do. I think everyone has their own personal affiliation with this topic or not, depending on traits of our own identity, who we're associated with, so many different factors. There's some individuals that genuinely don't see it as business critical or as a point to have on the agenda. And it's very difficult to 
convince those individuals and I think it's more of a case of you know let it be time will pass society will continue to evolve and move on and it'll catch up with them unfortunately or something will change in their own circumstances and who they're associated with that will trigger then a desire to learn more and invest yeah I think with if companies do choose to ignore it then they're potentially missing out on talent talent customers market opportunities suppliers even um but then on an individual level as well you're going to have individuals there who feel undervalued they don't feel supported they don't feel they feel as though they maybe um have to conceal certain parts of their identity or underplay or mask certain parts yeah. of their traits and identities so um they carry around extra um you know parts of themselves that can be maybe quite draining or it definitely affects their performance their productivity if they don't feel comfortable to share that with their teams their managers if the trust's not there the communication channels even so it's about both employers and employees recognizing their part to play so that we can all make it um, an environment where people feel like they can be open yeah. they can share and then they can all be involved in creating those inclusive environments where it's much more comfortable for people and more productive for everybody involved because otherwise you're going to end up where you've got employees who are feeling like you know they're not getting anywhere or they're feeling quite disgruntled or they're not being communicated to in the right way they don't have reasonable adjustments that they need because they don't want to speak up it affects so many different things and you ultimately get a bit of a communication breakdown as well and yeah there's just there's so many things we could go on as you can (laughs) yeah there's there's absolutely a lot to it and I just want to pick up some about something from your answer there so you were saying about you know having to hide parts of ourselves you know our cultural background things that we're passionate about things that sort of make us who we are it's just must be so exhausting to have to hide that and I think maybe everybody feels that to a certain degree at work you know we're being a version of ourselves but you know the extent to, to what that is is you know can ultimately be really exhausting so how do you think that sort of feeds into employee well-being and mental health at work then so this one's quite a common one I would say or one that I'm definitely more aware of the more work we do with organizations the more sessions we deliver where we're interacting with colleagues from all different walks of life I think just to caveat it probably in the wrong way around we'll come back to your question but to start with um I think when we talk about diversity and inclusion often as human beings we're really guilty of default into the visible traits that we think of so when we think about DNI, we think about race, we think about gender equality, we think about um, individuals as part of the LGBT plus community. We often miss off very important other aspects such as neurodiversity, different abilities, um, mixed, heritage. mixed heritage, cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. There's so much more to it. And I don't believe that there should be a hierarchy of which one of those traits or identities is more important than the other and there's been a lot of instances where and we know and we hear on a regular basis of colleagues coming to us and saying oh you know I have autism my line manager knows but my colleagues don't know or I don't feel like I can share it and here are some of the hurdles that I'm facing or I really relate to this or that um and it can cause so many 
issues internally. It does. And I think there's that many things that we don't see. So, for example, either hidden disabilities, disabilities. or impairments, you've got mental health yeah. issues, there's those um, cultural, religious backgrounds, beliefs, mixed race, heritage, whatever it is, you've got sexuality. There's so many things that we can't see or, you know, we can't necessarily assume about someone. And it does affect people where if they do feel as though they have to underplay those parts or mask them. So it will potentially be affecting their self-esteem. It affects them in terms of, you know, feeling more anxiety around that the fear of being stigmatized or having prejudice um, from colleagues or being stereotyped or judged um, and even by association as well. And um, it can also lead to um, depression and it can really affect people physiologically as well um, with other ailments and um, further down the line can even um, manifest in medical issues as well. So it can really, um, the impact of diversity and inclusion has a huge impact on mental well-being, well-being yeah. um, generally as well. Um, so we, we can't take it too lightly as, you know, oh, this is a fluffy topic. It really does impact people on that deeper level where if they are carrying around, um, you know, extra um, mental weight as well. So for example, um, People might be dealing with different microaggressions on a daily basis or because of a part of their identity or trait may experience disadvantage more than others in some areas. So they will necessarily they might be carrying that around with them and then that's going to affect them as well. So it's all about those stresses, that mental load that people are having to think about and carry with them that it will yeah. affect their yeah. I really appreciate that insight actually I mean even making me think about it more than perhaps I have in the past you know it's it's so multifaceted and I think that um that'd be useful for a lot of people listening and I think what I'm hearing from what you're saying is you know yes you can go into an organization with the best of intentions to to want to make a change but it's almost like you have to personally coach all of the people that are involved the key stakeholders to sort of change their perception about what ED&I actually means I think so again another couple of angles to that one, um, which I'll probably forget where I'm going to go with this, but you can chip in. <laughs> um, so for us, it's really important to have that intersectional lens. So as an organization at 5050, we don't specialize or market ourselves to be experts in particular diversity traits or characteristics identities. So we don't specialize in gender. We don't specialize in uh, race, insert whatever variable. For us, having an intersectional view is so important because every single person that we interact with is going to be made up of lots of different layers, traits, identities that are all going to collide with each other in different ways, meaning their lived experience is going to be totally different from the person sat beside them. Even though visibly they might look very similar, we've no clue what's underneath the surface. And if we have that intersectional view on inclusion, that teaches us to be welcoming to any individual, regardless of their makeup. It's having an appreciation of all of us are completely unique and different. And I think that's the key for organizations to take. They need to have that intersectional view. Of course, I understand if there's particular challenges or problems or concerns internally for a particular 
underrepresented groups, then specialist attention to those areas or extra educational pieces might be bob on. But it is that holistic view of everyone. And then it's also stepping away from the buzz terms of EDNI. So yes, diversity is your data. We're all about equity and providing that equality of opportunity for everybody. But fundamentally, it will impact every single part of the business, whether you think it or not, your promotions, your hiring, your recruitment, your marketing, you name it, it's threaded and woven into it. So it's stepping away from this fluffy nice to have and just thinking about things with a bigger lens of of getting the best out of everyone that you interact with. So if I'm a business owner listening to that about intersection, taking an intersectional approach, I like the sound of it. I know it's what I should be doing, but now there's just so much that I need to be across. So it might seem quite overwhelming. So what? where can I start? What would be the first thing that I could do? What are the first things that we need to have in place to make this quite big change? So probably from a bias perspective, but also thinking quite strategically and realistically, if this is not your area of expertise, get help. And that doesn't need to be in the form of 50-50 and consultancy and training. It might just be a mentor or an individual externally who has more experience that you can lean on to guide you. I would always start with benchmarking where you currently are to get that understanding of what things look like at this moment in time. And that might be through what data you collect. So your diversity monitoring data, it might be that you don't collect any and actually that in itself tells you a story. And then it starts with listening. So that could be through the likes of engagement surveys, pulse surveys. It might be focus groups or listening groups internally. It might be if you do have employee resource groups or affinity groups that you know you do actively listen to the concerns and challenges. And then you need a methodical framework of what's taken priority, what's realistic and achievable that you can actually stick to and deliver on. And a slow step-by-step steady chip away at it over time it's going to take years there's certain things we can do in the short term but be realistic and slow and steady wins the race and never lose sight on the fact that this is something that will continually need to be revisited and amended and updated and pivoted and tweaked I think something that organizations fall guilty of is they'll go okay we'll, we'll need to do something about this so then they start signing up to all kinds of like charters or like start getting badges for this, that, and the other. And or, or they'll put targets in place. So the positively like, discriminate. Right. By 2030, we're going to have, you know, X amount of these kinds of people in the business. And they just go off and without actually listening and looking at the data, listening to people. What are your specific challenges within each organization? You will have challenges specific to you and that's what you need to be targeting with any response to that. So it's just really paying attention to your specific organisational needs and addressing them. You know, we see that similarly in, in wellbeing world, you know, it's like, oh, we'll just run a yoga class. Well, you can't put a sticking plaster over a bad culture. <laughs> so doing something for five minutes is not going to make a big impact to your point. So, yeah, absolutely agree. Um, let's bring the energy up a little bit then and kind of like step into uh, some sort of proactive stuff and maybe a bit more positivity. So how can employers celebrate diversity? So many little ways. Um, one, by listening. 
again, understanding what's important to your colleagues, having lending libraries internally with loads of different books, different topics that people can delve into, um, having book clubs, bringing people in or um, utilising the voices that you have in the organisation. So if people want to share their experiences or having case studies of other colleagues or bringing people in with lived experience um, to do webinars or you know, like lunch and learn sessions, anything like that, where people get an actual insight and you can kind of create that empathy where they really understand why that's necessary or see things from a different perspective I think is always really um, powerful and I'd recommend looking at the diversity calendar there's loads of free examples online it's going to tell you different religious holidays different celebration months whatever it might be and think about what you could do internally if it's not something that you've currently looked at then do potluck lunches do talks find videos whatever it might be to just raise awareness um before you start projecting that externally Let's educate our colleagues internally and, and use that as a great tool too. Yeah, love yeah. it. Making sure that whatever you are doing is, you know, authentic to what your company is actually doing because so many times we do see that virtue signaling where... Or rainbow washing. Yeah, they'll, they'll put up on socials, but then when you scratch the surface, they're actually not taking that seriously internally in the organisation. So... Yeah, just making sure that that aligns nicely. Nice. And how can employers build an inclusive workplace? It's just so much, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> that's a huge question. I appreciate. Okay, what would be, uh, let's say, top three for both of you? Well, my area of specialism is inclusive recruitment. So I'm going to say I have a really, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, you can take it out a shit hot recruitment strategy. You can swear. Uh, that is um inclusive and make sure that we attract that diverse talent pool and that there's a quality of opportunity for everybody so have a good strategy but then you need a really great inclusive culture to support a diverse workforce there's no point hiring the main if you don't have a culture that's going to be supportive and allow people to use their voices and listen I don't know if I can answer this for you in a succinct way um what else can they do well i would say if we're going bigger with it rather than into the granular like these are all of the many yeah. things that you can do education piece so get educated so nice <laughs> for us we would start with the um leadership teams so that they feel really equipped with robust foundation Ready knowledge so that yeah they can then you know lead that in the organization and align it to their strategies but also align it to their vision, mission and values as well, so that it's right the way across the company and then the culture will hopefully all fit in within that. And then strategy is the next piece. So making sure that it's holistic um, so that it doesn't become one of those bolt-ons. And I think those three things kind of make yeah. up the bigger picture. And then there's a million things that you can do. Hmm. Within <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So educate, recruit well. Have a good strategy in place and make sure you embed that into your culture. Yeah. yeah, Love it. All right. Awesome. And to wrap up, we've got one final question that we asked to all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is one way that you think employers can create happy, healthy workplaces? Listening. Actively listening. 
and action so yeah Ooh, beautiful <laughs> yeah got to take action so it's it's fine you know wanting to do the right thing and having the best of intentions but then what are you going to do so i think you need to be able to listen to that and what actually matters but then you need to take some kind of action to deliver on your promises 100 yes. percent. love it so where can people find out more about you and the awesome work that you do lindsay and lindsay so they can find our website 5050future.co.uk you can email either Lindsay and I then our names are very similar um Lindsay has a D I do not so it doesn't matter who you email one of us will get it um you can find our emails on the website we get us on LinkedIn you'll get us on Instagram on Twitter on the 5050 future handle any way you're most comfortable with you'll be able to find us love it and what are the top things that you can help people with education strategy and programs of support so for if you are that person in your organization who it has fallen to whether you asked for it or not and you're not really sure where to start then we do have programs in place that support you through the education piece and the strategy building piece as well i love it well thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure as always and i look forward to speaking to you soon thank you thank you Thanks for listening to the Key Wellbeing Podcast. Don't forget, we've got a whole library of free guides, toolkits, resources, and fortnightly lunchtime listens just like this with an epic lineup of guests, all to help you to create a healthy, happy workplace. Find it all on our website, www.keywellbeing.co.uk.